Yeah, I think this book is going to really highlight the difference between the two of us. I don't know if you're right, but okay. Because I think you take things so much more analytically. Okay. I think you're deeper than I am. I don't know what analytical means. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not sure if that's true. I retract my statement. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. Welcome to episode three of the Litflix podcast. We are books, movies, booze. Basically, we read a book, we watch a movie, we have some drinks, and talk about it. I'm Casey. And I'm Abby. This pos- this podcast. How is much alcohol have you had? Too much. This podcast is very explicit and has all of the spoilers. You won't come out of this not knowing what happened, I promise. On tonight's episode, we are discussing The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, published in 1898, along with the film The Innocents from 1961, starring Deborah Kerr. The screenplay is by William Archibald and Truman Capote, which I, was, I, I had no idea he wrote this until I looked it up. Me for, either, and I didn't know until I saw it in the credits. It's kind of amazing. Um, and then I got really excited. Tonight, I attempted to drink a liquefied ghost. And What's in that? It is Sprite, simple syrup, vanilla, cream, and vodka. And it was, it was gross. It was <laughs> like so sweet. And so I fell back on my apple pie moonshine, which is made with Everclear. And my head is already swimming. So oh. this episode should be great. Okay. That sounds so much better than the first thing you tried because that sounds really gross yeah it was gross don't try it (laughs) should i not post it on our website as a as a recipe you can post it i think some people would probably like it it's it's kind of like a maybe dessert martini okay that just the idea of creamy alcohol sounds disgusting to me yeah i don't mind a white russian but this was over the top okay i've never had that either but then i did want to try the hot chocolate with the schnapps so i don't know we were out trick-or-treating, and one of my neighbors, when they opened the door, they were like, oh, do you want an adult treat as well? And of course, we said yes. So she hands us this cup of hot chocolate with peppermint schnapps. Best neighbor ever. Okay, did she literally say an adult treat? Yeah, she did. I mean, how do you know what you're getting? I 100% didn't. She, what if yeah. it's like a gift bag, gift bag with like a dildo in it or something? It totally could have been. I still would have taken it. <laughs> <laughs> Trick or treat. (laughs) Gross. I was going to say extra treat, but I think that's too far. (laughs) I don't think it is. It would have gone well with your creamy white alcohol. Don't, don't, don't. You can't say that. You cannot say that. Oh, I just did. Um, Tonight I am drinking, since I got a little too drunk last episode, I decided to lay off the hard alcohol and I went with a nice Costco cider to call back to the British countryside and the upper classes. What kind of cider did you get? Um, The Sangria one. It's the Portland Cider Company, I think is what it's called. I think you and I had tried it before. It's pretty good. I bought it when I was there visiting, but I actually left it at my mom's without trying it. So You left one for me and I had it. Oh, never mind that I left it at your house. You left it at my house and then I bought two more, so... Okay, that works. Yeah, it's pretty good, but I do feel 
British. Good. It was hard finding drinks this week because there were so many. Yeah, and but the, all the British drinks felt like summer drinks to me. And yeah. it's, that's not, I mean, it's a ghost story. It's Halloween right now. I mean, it's past Halloween right now. I know. That's you know why I, mean. I tried to go with a liquefied ghost. You tried your best. Before we start on the novel, I just wanted to apologize for the sound quality on the last episode. I was more drunk than usual and I had my mic pointed the wrong direction, which we're super top-notch professionals well i didn't realize that it's a directional microphone so i was like oh my face is right near it it should sound fine um so that's why i'm sticking to cider instead of vodka this time i also had a couple accuracy issues in the last episode that's a, <laughs> that is a true fact um i called that movie the turncoat's daughter but i really meant the black coat's daughter and i feel really bad because i liked it a lot um i had some other ones but i can't remember what they were because <laughs> I was drunk. The other thing is you, I was listening to the episode and you had told me like something about yourself and I just totally agreed with you and I had no idea what you were talking about. And then when I listened to the episode, I actually picked up on what you were talking about and I was like, oh, that was dumb. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> so anyway, going forward, our audio quality will be much better. We're getting it together. We're definitely learning as we go. And, yeah. you know, there is a bit of a learning curve, but I think we're getting it. Yeah. I know which way my microphone points now. That That's a good thing to know. Step one. <laughs> okay. So this novella was actually published as a serial in Collier's Weekly Magazine in 12 installments. James has actually re... Henry James has actually revisited the story many times and has even changed the children's ages. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'd actually be interested in how it was originally published. Did it say for what purpose? It didn't. He published, you know, he changed it and published it as a novella when he worked in London for one of the magazines there. Oh, okay. And then he published it again in a book of short stories. And I guess in that he includes annotation and annotations in some of his original notes. Okay. I'd be interested in finding like the original story. Yeah, that would be neat. This, I mean, it's still a great story. If you say so. Um, I, I don't know how to say this. I hated this book, but I liked the story. If that makes any sense at all. It makes a lot of sense that I felt exactly the same way. Okay. I didn't hate it. Let's continue on because we can do that in our final thoughts. But like I okay. had, I was really conflicted. Okay. Henry James is actually considered to be among the greatest novelists of the English language. And I thought it was kind of interesting that when he spoke English, he had a really bad stutter. But he lived in France for so long, he spoke fluent French, and he never stuttered in French. That's amazing. But English was his first language. Yeah. And he had a really bad stutter, which, you know, considering all of his accomplishments, I thought was really great. Aww. The other interesting thing I found out about him is that he had a back injury from a fire that kind of flared up throughout the rest of his life. So he could not fight in the American Civil War. Wait a minute. Was he British? 
He is American. <laughs> but I thought he was British. He spent the majority of his life in Europe. Oh, so he was like an expat? Yeah, his family was pretty wealthy and they traveled back and forth. Oh, okay, but he was an American citizen? He was an American citizen. He actually went to Harvard Law School mm. and realized that wasn't for him. He spent over three decades <clears throat> in Paris. His ashes are actually in France. That makes sense. Most people probably think of him as a British writer. Yeah, I had no idea. I read him in college. I got a college degree in English, and I didn't know that he was not British. <laughs> he so, is American. <laughs> that just goes to show you how much attention I paid in school. The story was really interesting to me, and it actually mm. pops up all throughout our culture. And one of the times that I kind of thought was funny is Dalton in Insidious Chapter 2 is reading The Turn of the Screw. He is? Yeah, which I thought was great because a boy being haunted by ghosts is reading a story about kids being haunted by ghosts. Oh, that's so cool. I thought it was really cool. The other interesting thing was in the movie The Ring when they play the cursed video. Mm -hmm. About 25 seconds in, there's a young boy's muffled singing and that audio is actually from this movie. No. Yeah, so I think it's really cool that it's all interwoven and... I'm so scared right now. <laughs> oh my God, are you serious? That's the creepiest thing I've ever heard. I think it's great. It's I, amazing, but it's so terrifying. I, yeah, <laughs> I think this movie has such long, like even the story, it has such long reaches and it just kind of fits in all of our horror and ghost stories and it keeps popping up, so... That's pretty amazing. And it makes me have a lot of respect for it, kind of like how I am legend did. That's great. I mean, I knew I mean, I knew of Henry James and I knew that he was a prolific writer and super mm -hmm. influential and all that, but I didn't yeah. realize it stretched to my yeah, current modern horror films. It does stretch. It's still touching them. <laughs> In more ways than one. Ooh. <laughs> Is that a good touch or a bad touch? <laughs> okay. Reader's uh, choice. <laughs> that's basically what this book is about. It's like choose your own adventure, essentially, I think. It really is. This is probably the most ambiguous book I've ever read. And yeah. I don't think any two people will ever walk away with the same thoughts. No. It's insane. I My brain hurt <laughs> after I, like, during reading it. So what this story is about, on Christmas Eve, an unnamed narrator listens to Douglas, who is his friend, or maybe like in his social circle. I don't think they're really friends. It's basically a bunch of bored rich people around a fire. I think it's great. A bunch of friends are sitting around at this big house telling ghost stories by the fire. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And it just seems so warm and cozy. Yeah, and it's how you and there's that whole thing about Christmas being creepy. People don't realize it, but it really is a creepy holiday. It's dark. It's cold. I think of it's, it as a warm holiday, so Okay, well, I I can turn any holiday into a creepy holiday if I want to. <laughs> All right, take 2. On Christmas Eve, an unnamed narrator listens to Douglas, a friend, I guess, read a manuscript written by a former governess whom Douglas claims to have known and who is now dead. 
And Douglas is dead, too, which is interesting. Everybody's dead in this book. Wait, Douglas is dead? Yeah, he leaves the manuscript to the narrator. What? Yeah, you didn't know that? I'll find it. I'll read it to you right now. Hold on. I was shocked, too, because I was going back to do my notes, and I was like, what? Douglas is dead? No. Unless unless I read it wrong. Hold on. I don't believe you. He is. Just a second. Poor Douglas, before his death, when it was in sight, committed to me the manuscript that reached him on the third of these days, and that on the same spot with immense effect, he began to read to our hustled little circle on the night of the fourth. Okay, yeah. you are right. I am wrong. I mean, it's not about that. <laughs> but it's but just you're ev- really proud that you're right right now. <laughs> so proud that I understood one sentence in this book. <laughs> Everyone's dead. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Take three. He's reading this manuscript written by a former governess whom Douglas claims to have known and who is now dead. The manuscript tells the story of how the young governess is hired by a man who has become responsible for his young nephew and niece after the death of their parents in India. Do you have anything to say? No, I did pick up the India part. I wrote it down. Oh, okay. I felt like it was important because of Britain. Mm. and spices <laughs> i'm sure isis was a big concern no, then i said spices <laughs> oh spices because <laughs> you know how britain became an empire basically over spices and the india trading company the yeah exact east india trading company <laughs> that's what i meant you got Not it isis or isis <laughs> whichever apparently they have far-reaching influences as well how's that moonshine sitting with you it's great i'm you last episode yes i am vindicated okay all right so i'm gonna pause here because i have some notes about this by the time we get to the actual ghost story that we're so like excited for The narrative is basically three times removed from the audience because you've got the original unnamed narrator, you've got Douglas who's telling it, and then you've got the governess who supposedly wrote the manuscript, but we really don't know who actually wrote it. I thought it was great. It's like a story in a story, and I think it lends credence to the fact that maybe this happened, maybe this didn't. Mm Mm-hmm. And by the time he even gets this manuscript, she's been dead for 20 years. Okay. I was wondering about that time frame. The other thing I thought made it kind of interesting, this is a legit manuscript. It's in a red album with gilt edges and, you know, it's like a thing. Yeah. It's like a physical thing that they can... It's not somebody jotted down on a piece of paper. Yeah. So it feels special and important. Plus, his man has to go all the way to London to get it. Yes. It's like you said, I feel like we're set up not to trust any of what is being told to us. Sort of. Okay, so even reading this beginning, I felt like I was back in my British lit classes reading Mm -hmm. Shakespeare or Chaucer. And every sentence is this huge thing that takes a minute to kind of digest and actually get it. Yeah. Also, could any one person use more commas in a sentence? Oh, my God, no. I had to go back so many times because I was like, what did I just... By the time I got to the end of the sentence, I was like, I don't know what I read. 
I think I read somewhere that he was paid by the word. And I feel like that definitely shows. <laughs> it definitely shows. But it, I think it's I want to believe that it's also an actual device that he used to disorient us basically as an audience. That's good because it killed my brain. Oh, yeah. I wanted to die. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah. And I was listening to like every metal album I could think of <laughs> to like stay awake and not die but it didn't work I fell asleep every few pages it was horrible it took me so long I definitely postponed there were days I did not read (laughs) yeah agreed okay so she's hired by a man who's become responsible for his young nephew and niece after the deaths of their parents the this young man is very rich Um, He lives mainly in London, but also has a country house called Bly. He is uninterested in raising the children and gives her full charge of the children and explicitly states that she is not to bother him with communications of any sort. The governess travels to her new employer's country house and begins her duties. The boy, Miles, is attending a boarding school while his younger sister, Flora, is living at a summer country house in Essex. What? I don't remember that. Yeah. Okay. The the summer country house is Bly. It's in Essex, though. Oh, got it. Okay. She's currently being cared for by Mrs. Gross, the housekeeper. So the movie starts around this section with the housekeeper, or not the housekeeper, sorry, the governess, Mrs. Miss? Mrs. It's not Mrs. Miss Giddens, the governess. The governess is Miss Giddens. She's being interviewed by, I think his name is Uncle Henry. So they cut the narrative down a bit. They cut out that story within a story thing, which I think is fine. Um, It lets the movie stand alone and determine its own message, I thought. Also, that song in the opening credits. An interesting thing I read was actually that because the opening starts and then about, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds in, you see the 20th Century Fox logo. Okay. And when theaters got the real, the project people the projectors actually thought it was an error and jumped right to the logo oh so they cut out the singing they cut out the song yeah that's a travesty because that song is amazing well they thought the sound and the video were offset like they thought they were supposed to overlap more that makes sense i mean i would think the same thing But it's really sad because the audiences were deprived of a super creepy, beautiful, amazing, haunting song. Yeah. I mean, it's really beautiful and simple, but so creepy, especially from a music box or being hummed by a possessed child, you know? Yeah, little kids are creepy in movies and in real life, so. They really are. We should get rid of ours. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Giddens is put in absolute charge of the care of the children i think in the house too i think she's basically the head household staff there's references to power mrs gross mentions that it's not her place to contradict miss giddens and i kind of wonder if james is commenting on what happens when people of a lower station overstep their boundaries i kind of looked at this a little bit as a downton abbey situation yes Uh uh-huh And so I didn't exactly know where a governess would have fit in, but I thought she probably would have been more at the head. I can kind of tell you she actually didn't fit in with 
she wasn't technically the head of the household because that's the head of housekeeper and she wasn't she wasn't part of the family obviously she's hired help her position as a governess really shows that ambiguous status that she has she's not on the same social level as the family she works for but she's not the household staff either and it's so it's not surprising that she would be so intoxicated by that power and freedom that she gets from the house i looked something up i saw an article that said being a governess was one of the few legitimate ways by which an unmarried middle-class woman could support herself in victorian society not surprisingly her position was often depicted as one to be pitied and the only way out of it was to get married. Unfortunately, that's really, huh? That's really interesting. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was difficult for a governess to find a suitable husband because most of the eligible men she encountered were her social superiors who preferred a bride from within their own social class, particularly since such women generally had better financial resources. So just the fact that she's a governess, mean, governess means that she's in this limbo. She's like kind of seen and unseen, almost like the ghosts. Ooh, yeah, I made a connection there. Good job, Henry James. Yeah. Also, you have that previous governess taking liberties with the valet, and they both perished. You know, they both died. So I kind of feel like people who overstep those social bounds end up getting punished in this book. That's really interesting. Yeah. I also had that Miss Giddens. Is she Miss Giddens in the book or just in the movie? No, she actually doesn't have a name in the book. She's just the governess because it's told from her perspective. And even when they set up the story for her manuscript, he just says, my sister's previous governess. My sister's previous governess. So so Douglas isn't Miles, is he? Miles. Who's Miles? Miles is the boy in the... What the hell? Miles is the boy in the novel. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Is Douglas Miles? No, because he says he has an older sister. He was younger. Oh, okay. All right. This is going off the rails. Rewind. Miss Giddens is... She says she fancied herself a remarkable woman and that she had to put on the front of being remarkable in order to deal with the remarkable circumstances she's faced with. And I would think that normally a woman who's self-sufficient would have every right to see herself as remarkable. But I think the author, like I said, really punishes her for it and shows that going beyond her station will not end well. She even says that the whole air of the place and the freedom appealed to her vanity. So I think she's finally like she's a pastor's daughter or a parson's daughter. Yeah, I and think so this she's is her. finally able to step up. Yeah, this is kind of her first chance to be on her own and be in charge. And I think she's it's her first job. So she's young. Yeah, exactly. Young and stupid. God. But the like the dream for a Victorian governess was to marry the master of the house. Like you want to find a master of the house that's single so you can become the lady of the house. Kind of like Jane Eyre. And there's oh, a reference. Okay. Yeah, there's a reference to Jane Eyre in the book where it was something like she half expected to find an unknown relative caged up somewhere in the house. And that was What's-His-Face's wife in Jane Eyre. Okay. They also uh, referenced the mysteries of Udolpho, which is mm -hmm. referenced in Northanger Abbey. I only know that because of the Jane Austen book club. Okay, I had no idea. So, But I also read Northanger Abbey, so there's that. 
you love Jane Austen book club, don't you? I haven't seen it. Fuck. That's like one of my, it's such a good movie. We should watch it soon. It's a book too. I don't know why we have to keep going back to things that I haven't seen. I don't know why either. I'm so sorry. But anyway, both of these references are to female authors who popularized the gothic novel. So when I saw that, I also kept waiting for this like corporeal explanation, just like with Jane Eyre. And I think James was teasing the audience with that. He knew that we were never going to get that resolution that we wanted, even though we were expecting it to come up. I kind of kept, I don't know why, obviously it's not in the back of my head. I kept thinking of it as a Gothic romance. It is sort of, she reads a romance novel in the book. She does. I, I just had different like ideas in my head that never came to fruition. Like Jane Eyre. Like Jane Eyre. Yeah. Me too. I was, I was waiting for it. I was like, we're going to get this resolution that she's a nutcase. And we never fully got it. Ideally that, yeah, this book has no answers. Right. Cause it wants to infuriate its audience basically. Do you have anything else about that? About governesses? No. Okay. Or anything else right there? Okay, so I thought that the movie set this up great, that when she arrives at the house, at the estate, she hears someone calling for Flora, but nobody Mm -hmm. else can hear it. Yeah. And so I thought they did a really good job of inserting the creepiness without having so much narrative to back it. Yeah, because it's immediately terrifying. The other thing I thought, there's a couple things I thought the movie did great. She's warned early on that Flora wanders... Ooh, I I thought that was interesting because Flora does tend to disappear and you see a lot of creepy things with her being out of bed and yeah, staring at her while she sleeps. But they, they kind of set that up in the very beginning. Yeah. The other things with Flora early in the movie is that she knows Miles is coming home. So I wondered if she has premonitions. Okay. And she also does speak of ghosts. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was a great undertone for laying the groundwork of, does she see these ghosts? Does she not? Yes. Like, you you never really know if she's quote unquote innocent. Ooh. Yeah. That's so true. I, I thought the movie did a great job setting that for the rest of the story. Yeah. I read an article in the New Yorker from 2012 and I'll link it in the show notes. I can't remember who it was by, but, and it said that something along those lines of, if you look back at what, like the dialogue the children have, you can literally take it either way that they're either being twats or, and like just totally fucking with this new governess or that they really are totally innocent to the implications of the things that they're saying. In the book, I felt like since it is a first-person narrative, I felt like you didn't get a lot. And some of it you can easily read that she just overreacts to situations. Oh, yes. But in the movie, I think they really did a great job making the kids kind of walk that line. They really, And those kids were excellent actors, especially Miles. So the actor who plays Miles, his name is actually Martin Stevens. 
And he was the most popular child actor in Britain during the 50s and the 60s. Oh, wow. As an adult, he lost interest in acting. He went to school in Belfast, and then he later returned to England, where he became an architect and a teacher of meditation. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's an interesting mix. It is. The other thing for this movie, the director thought that it was too scary, so the kids never actually saw the whole screenplay. They got their lines right before they filmed the scene. Oh, interesting. See, and I don't think this... I mean, I can't imagine that the screenplay would be the scary part. It's what you... Well, I guess... I mean, to me, what's on film is what really made me freak out when I watched it. Yeah, they... I think with the lighting and... Yeah. I don't know. The cinematography was great Mm -hmm. to add that sense of... What's the word I'm looking for? Dread? Dread. Yeah. And that, that New Yorker article I read said that the book is full of dreaded dreadfulness or something and it like quotes the book and i'm like okay i remember that part and it's odd it made the female audience sound really stupid but anyway that's what i thought all right miles soon returns from school for the summer just after a letter arrives from the headmaster stating that he has been expelled Miles never speaks of the matter, and the governess is hesitant to raise the issue. She fears there is some horrible secret behind the expulsion, but is too charmed by the adorable young boy to want to press the issue. Soon thereafter, around the grounds of the estate, the governess begins to see the figures of a man and woman whom she does not recognize. These figures come and go at will without ever being seen or challenged by other members of the household, and they seem to the governess to be supernatural. She learns from Mrs. Gross that the governess's predecessor, Miss Jessel, and another employee, Peter Quint, had had a sexual relationship. Before their deaths, Jessel and Quint spent much of their time with Flora and Miles, and this fact has grim significance for the current governess when she becomes convinced that the two children are secretly aware of the ghost's presence. I have so many things. Okay. First. Don't play hide and seek in a fucking old British estate with a child ever. Okay, that's true. Okay. I don't know if you got this, but I felt that Miss Jessel and Peter Quint are pedophiles. <laughs> I um, feel like there was some sexual abuse going on. I don't know if that's true or if I'm reading into it. I th- I don't think you're the only one who reads into it. That was in that New Yorker article that I read, too. I didn't pick up on that, but I think that's because I'm naive and innocent. Okay, that's just kind of the sense I got from the book. Okay, that is definitely, like, supportable by the text, I think. Okay. And it's horrible to think about. And think about it. That uncle is like, yeah, just please go take care of these kids and don't fucking bother me with anything about it. Like, if you got the wrong people in that house... Exactly. Shit could get real sideways. When the governess first sees Quint, she's, like, walking in the garden in the book and she's longing to meet somebody. And then suddenly he appears on top of the tower, which I didn't know. I think that's the whole thing about the ambiguity of this book. I couldn't tell if she wants to see someone so bad that he appears Mm -hmm. 
or if it's a real ghost that happens to be there. Right. And we'll never know the answer. Right. I I am of the camp that she goes nuts. Personally, that's my take on it. So okay. I'll just lay that out now. Okay, I'm going to wait till the end. Okay. <laughs> Throughout this whole book, she has all these bad, the governess has all these bad suspicions about the the kids, but they're too pretty to Mm -hmm. be bad, which was so annoying to me. Oh, you're pretty. You must be an angel. Well, and it goes along with the whole narrative that the um, housekeeper gave. And also you've got the fact that these are basically the Lord and lady of the house right now. You know, and so that whole narrative is going to follow the governess no matter what she does, I think. And it's just a lie. It's just a lie that they're telling themselves. It's not true. I feel like cute kids are naturally the worst kids. (laughs) Well, they are because they know they can get away with everything. That made me think, well, maybe these kids aren't so great because I don't know. Just the whole narrative of that annoyed me. Mm -hmm. The other thing, I don't know if it was. A sign of the times or if Henry James did it on purpose, these people never just say what the fuck is on their mind. Oh, yeah. No, I think Henry James did that on purpose because every time Mrs. Gross tried to say something, the governess would interrupt her and interject her own thoughts in the book. And it was so frustrating because I'm like, please just finish a sentence. It's so frustrating because... They're almost there. She almost asks a question. She almost finds out her answers. And then, oh, nope, for propriety's sake, let's let's not. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know if that's just part of the Victorian era or if he just did that specifically for the book. I feel like it's probably both. Okay. I have something to say about that, too. Oh, I – during – when I was reading it, I sometimes felt like Mrs. Gross was setting up the governess. <clears throat> she would give her just little hints of certain things and then stop talking. And then when she would try to talk, the governess would interrupt her and, or it'll be like short and vague. And she just f- fills in those blanks with whatever she wants. Did you find yourself longing for conversation through the book for like, for a dialogue? Yes, because that's sort of where the action happens. Right. There's so much inner monologue that I'm like, okay, can someone just speak? Tell me what is happening. And I think that lends to sort of the like claustrophobia of the book too. Like you're stuck inside that narrator's mind and you can't get out. Yeah. The other thing about the governess that really... I don't know if it bothered me. It it lends to the story. She read so much into every situation. Like she took it to the extreme. <laughs> she did. Calm down, bitch. Not everything is out to get you. Exactly. And one of the f- funniest quotes in the book, and basically I read this as a comedy because I couldn't take it serious because she was so over the top. So um, over the top. It was like in reference to the children knowing about the ghosts. She says... They say things that if we heard them would simply appall us. How do you know if you didn't hear it? What are you talking about? (laughs) You are a nut job. And Deborah Kerr did such a good job because she did amazing. Eyes were bulging out of her head when she was talking. It was so cool. The movie kind of took things a different way. But in the book, there's this scene where she's 
talking to Miles in his bed and all of a sudden the candle goes out and she's like, oh no, the ghost. And he's like, I blew out the candle. Yeah. Calm down. And I'm like, okay, just another situation. You are way too high strung. Yeah. Yeah, she was the worst. One other thing in the novel. So Peter Quint, they find him dead on the road, whatever. But it says that Miss Jessel takes a holiday and I kind of got the impression that maybe she was pregnant. <gasps> That's genius. And then all of a sudden she's dead. She's not dead. She's out there with a bastard. Well, I wondered if maybe she like died in childbirth or she's in hiding or whatever else. Yeah. Once again, I could be wrong. So internet, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> These are things like I took, so I I, think, I don't know. I think everyone takes something different. I think that's really smart, and I don't know why I didn't even I that didn't even cross my mind. I bet you that's what it is. Because think about it: if something can shame the family, mm-hmm. it would be a pregnant, an unwed, pregnant governess. Exactly, because everybody's going to assume it was the master of the house. Probably, there's so. M- like so much of her quote unquote holiday is they're like, Oh, she went away for the first time since she's ever been here. Oh, yeah. she never came back. Look, she's dead. And right. You're kind of like, wait, what? She's, she's dead. And I don't know just how they set it up with her relationship with Quint. I thought she was pregnant. I think you are correct. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. Thank the- you. <laughs> I um. am smart and pretty. <laughs> i'm only laughing at the way you said it it's so true oh my god no it's fine i am a dumb (laughs) hobbit shut up i'm a troll i live under a bridge no you are not moonshine just makes you prettier right (laughs) okay so there was a thing i was gonna say just now about the things you were saying and i don't remember what it was (laughs) Oh, well, moving on. Okay, I have a couple things for in the movie. Oh, that was my question. In the movie, she drowns herself in the lake. Yeah, she commits suicide. And the other. She didn't do that in the book, right? No, no. Okay. She doesn't die at the house in the book, and neither does Peter Quint. He dies on the road back to the house. Right. The other things I thought the movie took a different twist is that the governess sees a picture of Peter Quint upstairs before she ever sees his ghost. Yeah. So I thought that kind of sets up that maybe she is imagining this. Yes, I agree. The other interesting thing was that each child, Flora finds Miss Jessel dead and Miles finds Peter Quint dead. Yeah. And so this obviously would scar the children. Right. Uh, I don't know Bef- what that means either way. Before you, <laughs> before you move on, I have a thing that relates to that because they changed the title of the movie to The Innocents. And mm-hmm. basically, I feel like a big focus of the movie is on corruption. Yeah. Like there's this cherub in the garden and you see like this nasty fucking bug. Oh my gosh, it was so mouth. creepy. Yeah, that was so cool. But just like you said, it's kind of almost like she's trying to protect these children from getting corrupted. But at the same token, these stories in the house, it's all corrupting her mind, mm-hmm. which I think is why they had the story of those two people dying on the grounds. Yeah. I think that lends, you know, weight to either way you look at it. Right. Agreed. All right. 
Okay, so the other thing in this part of the movie, Miles tells the governess that you can't believe anything Flora says because she invents things and she lies. Oh, in the movie he said that? Yeah, he tells her, she talks to him on top of the tower and he tells her that. Oh, yeah. So I kind of wondered if the movie, you know, back back to her premonitions and she knows Miles is coming. So I didn't know if maybe... They pass it off for her imagination, but maybe she actually does see things and feel things. Interesting. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) Once again, I could be way wrong. Maybe I'm the governess reading so much into nothing. (laughs) You're not, though. But that's the thing is the whole point of the book and the movie, I feel like, is to make you feel like you're going insane. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah. It did. It really did. Okay, are we ready to move on? Yes. Later, without permission, Flora leaves the house while Miles is playing music for the governess. Bait and switch. Distraction. She thinks it's this big, elaborate plot. And once again, I don't know if she's overreacting because, quote unquote, Flora likes to wander. I think the kids are assholes. The governess notices Flora's absence and goes with Mrs. Gross in search of her. They find her in a folly on the shore of the lake, and the governess is convinced that Flora has been talking to the ghost of Miss Jessel. When the governess finally confronts Flora, the girl denies seeing Miss Jessel and demands her, I'm sorry, demands never to see the governess again. I looked up what a folly was. It's like a old outdated structure. Okay, good, because I had no idea. Yeah, that was fun. At the governess's suggestion, Mrs. Gross takes Flora away to her uncle, leaving the governess with Miles, who that night at last talks to her about his expulsion. The the ghost of Quint appears to the governess at the window. The governess shields Miles, who attempts to see the ghost. The governess tells Miles he is no longer controlled by the ghost and then finds that Miles has died in her arms and the ghost has gone. Did you have to Google what the ending was? Because I didn't know. I didn't know he died in the book. I was no, like, what just... I got that he died. His heart I... stops. Oh, I was like, but what just I, happened? I have thoughts about it that we'll get to. Okay. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> the end. Okay. And just we're done. Right. <laughs> just kidding. I thought the most interesting part about this sort of ending scene with discussing the expulsion, I thought that was the most interesting part to me because he's in trouble for telling stories. And here we are all sitting around the fucking fire listening to a story. Okay. I didn't take that way. He says he's expelled because he quote unquote says things. I thought maybe he was saying dirty or inappropriate things that maybe he got from Quint. That could be, or he could be gossiping. I didn't take it that way. He says he, he said these things to people he liked. Ew. So I took it in a very sexual way. Oh, no. Poor little Miles. I love that you went the sweet, innocent way, and I went the <laughs> darkest way you could find. <laughs> I thought I was like the cynic in this relationship, but apparently I'm not. In this story, we have swapped roles. <laughs> <laughs> Our personalities are ambiguous here just like the story dun 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 so in the book first of all why i'm still wait i'm still like reeling about this okay that makes so much more sense now (laughs) 
Why would he be expelled for telling stories? Because it's Victorian England. I thought they got in a lot of trouble for gossiping. No, he says things to people he likes and they say things to people they like and it gets back to the (gasps) headmaster. So they learned dirty talk from Peter Quint. Yeah, I think it is sexual dirty deviant things. How old is he, 10? Well, Henry James changes his age, but I think he's 10. Well, I guess that's a kind of a normal age for that stuff to start. So, but it's still gross. But the book is supposed to be the 1860s. So I think you'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would not be acceptable. Okay. So Miles sneaks out because he wants the governess to think he's bad or whatever. But there's this other part that she's talking to him and he has a fucking dead bird under his pillow. (laughs) Why? Why? That wasn't in the book, was it? No, it's in the movie. Yeah, that was odd. I don't know what purpose that served, but it was gross. There's also she's sitting and talking to him on this bed and there is the most awkward kiss between the governess (gasps) and miles i literally sat there saying no 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 i read that the executives at 20th century fox were highly nervous for this scene with good reason because it is messed up how did deborah kerr agree to that i would have never agreed to that i couldn't do it there's no way i don't No, either, but I think that's part of why I go back to his inappropriate relationship with Peter Quint. Yeah. That he doesn't see anything wrong in this, where obviously other people do. Did... I don't know. It was just so gross. It was so, so gross. Yeah, it was... It made me super uncomfortable. That's the thing is this whole movie made me so uncomfortable. That dream sequence she had where in the movie where Flora is dancing with the ghost of Miss Jessel, my skin was crawling. Like this is the scariest movie I've seen in a long time. And I was shocked. I thought the cinematography was great. How long they expanded scenes with the fade over or fade out. Mm -hmm. They really overlapped them, which gave you that eerie sense and feeling yeah and that coupled with like the facial expressions especially on miles and deborah kerr it was like really unsettling yeah the other part towards the end of the book miles wants to go back to school so bad and he kind of puts it off to i don't want to be around so many women but it seems to me like the governess is smothering the children she never lets him out of his sight and i think he just wants to be a little boy and have some freedom Yeah, I agree. Let's see what else. Throughout the last probably two chapters, the governess flip-flops between Miles' guilt and innocence so much that I don't even know what's happening. I had no idea what was happening. I couldn't keep up with it. I was like, what did I just read? This goes back to her overreacting because he does a slight thing. Oh, he's innocent. He's just a little boy and has never seen anything. And then he says, oh, by the way, and all of a sudden he is guilty and he's possessed. Right. And I think that speaks to her instability too. Yeah, I definitely agree. Because she's technically isolated, even just as being a governess and then being a governess without any actual adults other than Mrs. Gross to talk to. Yeah. So I feel like I would have a hard time in her position as well, trying to like decide what things meant. 
I think so. And I think being in a big, creepy old house and, you know, it's just the perfect ghost setting. It is. And so I think that's where her internal dialogue comes in big time where she's filling in all those blanks. And like you said, reading too much into things, whereas we as neutral parties can kind of see, oh, honey, calm down. Mm -hmm. But she's so enveloped in it that she can't see what's real. That's another thing that I really loved about this book is like the truth in it is completely ambiguous too. There's a part where Mrs. Gross says, oh, when she's getting ready to send Flora away with her to London. And she's like, well, what do you want me to tell the uncle? And the governess says, tell him the truth. And in the movie, Mrs. Gross looks at her like, which one? Which right. truth? Like, what are you, what do you mean? Because there are so many different truths in this book. It's insane. I felt like Mrs. Gross was kind of a hard character as well because she seems to go along with whoever she's face to face with. Yes, that is very true. She reminded me of Iago's wife in Othello. Totally. A hundred percent. Uh-huh. And I just made that connection just now. I didn't even think about it. Okay, so when she confronts Flora down by the lake, in the book I was like, okay, well, this little girl's freaking out. It It's not that big of a deal. But mm-hmm. in the movie, she, like, grabs her and she's shaking her. And I thought, you would be terrified if you're, like, I don't know, a six- to eight-year-old child. Mm-hmm. I thought the movie did a really good job where I feel like the book kind of missed something for me. In that spot? In that spot. Yeah. I feel like I was so tired by that point that I was just like, (laughs) oh, my God. Okay. I get it. Let's move on. Well, I guess I was a little bit surprised because in the beginning of the book, the little girl was like, oh, my God, I love you. Let's be friends forever. You're the best governess I've ever had. And then all of a sudden, she's like, I want to have nothing to do with you. So it came out of left field for me. Yeah. In the book, it seemed like a big turn that I didn't understand how we got there. Yes, exactly. I also didn't know if since this is from her point of view, if she's downplaying her role and how far she went with Flora. Oh, that's a total possibility. Because there are times when she loses it with Mrs. Gross. Um, Mm -hmm. She says something about you're like a base menial and all of that stuff. I mean, I know she was referring to something else, but there are times when she crosses a line and she gets embarrassed by it. The other thing with Mrs. Gross, Mrs. Gross says that she's going to write to the uncle and the governess threatens to leave if she does. I thought that the governess wanted Mrs. Gross to write to the uncle, but Mrs. Gross is illiterate. Not until the end. She says she's going to tell the uncle. I don't know if she says she's going to write. She's going to tell the uncle. And the governess, yeah. Which is another interesting thing because by the time we learn that Mrs. Gross is illiterate, she's like... And then, and then the governess is like, oh, I'm so sorry. And the Mrs. Gross is like, it's okay. I write my letters through the bailiff. I'm like, yet again, we have another story within a story being like transcripted. And it's just like you There's, get copies of copies of copies of copies and it's horrible. This is definitely the worst game of telephone ever played. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how I felt about it too. Do you have anything else right here? So for the ending of the the story, in the movie, it seemed like Miles is scared to death. Mm-hmm. But in the book, Miles cries out and she holds him so tight when he's faced with Peter Clint- Quint. I think she kills him. I think she kills him too. Okay. 
because I well and I don't even in the book like no I I, thought she killed him in the book I think in the movie it's left open he's like scared yeah in the movie it's left open but I my own personal just the way I'm reading every all of it I just can't help but think that she's like you said squeezed Mm -hmm. him to death yeah I think she she killed him how strong do you have to be to squeeze a 10 year old boy to death I don't know and that's some strength once I read that Henry James changed the children's ages I started picturing the kids younger oh and I think that changes things as well I mean, it changes a lot, too, if you think about the sexual abuse thing, too, because the younger exactly. the child gets, the worse it gets. Yeah. And as, with him saying things at 10, maybe, you know, maybe you don't. But if you're seven, eight, yeah, that, it's, that changes things. It does. It's a lot less ambiguous then. I have here. We also finally hear the titular phrase toward the end of the book, the turn of the screw. And I had to look it up. I like had a vague understanding of what that phrase meant i'm so glad you looked it up because i have no clue what it means okay according to the cambridge dictionary it means to make a bad situation worse especially to force someone to do something and so to me that makes it feel like the straw that broke the camel's back like okay she did kill him yeah but uh, at the same time you could re- you could still read it either way, but I still think that she kills Miles. No one else saw the ghosts. The children are not angels. They're assholes. <laughs> it's like all these characters are walking through the narrative seeing and believing whatever they want. They're only going to see and believe their side of it. Exactly. The thing I thought was interesting how the book set it up and the movie just ends. I mean, it kind of ties back to the beginning because in the beginning she's sitting there praying and it kind of, yeah, it's the same as the end. Did the hands look weird at the end to you? A little bit, but they looked like corpse hands. Go ahead. So in the book, I think with the original opening Christmas story, you find Mm -hmm. out that even after this, she goes on, she becomes another governess. They love her. Oh, the, the person she gave this manuscript, he seems like he's in love with her. So that made me question whether or not she was crazy because she didn't see these ghosts forever. She only saw them at this house. That we know of. That we know of. She's not locked in a mental institution, though. She's not in a padded room somewhere. Yeah. She's but not sh- having a lobotomy. But that goes back again. His older sister's governess right could she be the pedophile <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> i'm trying to make i'm trying to make sense of it and it's impossible because it's henry james it is a hundred percent impossible i this book just you know it left so much to be desired <laughs> it really did i just I don't, I'm like, I feel like there's a great big question mark at the end. You can't, and that's the whole point, obviously, but it's going to drive generations of people insane trying to figure out the answer. it still is. We're more than a hundred years later and we're sitting here discussing it and have no idea what the story is. Yeah. The, The one thing is that when I was done with the book and I felt really, really idiotic that I had no idea what I had just read. And I started Googling things. It made me feel a lot better that nobody else understood it either. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is not a clear cut book. Do we want to do final thoughts here? Yes, I think that's the way to go. Okay, because we so could go on forever. We could. My final thoughts are: it's okay. First, I didn't want to read this book. This was a you pick. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I picked this book, and I'm so sorry, but I'm not. I'm ambiguous about it. Okay. Ambivalent. I I'm not a fan of the book. I'm happy I read it. I think that it's a great story, though. Hmm. I don't want to read it again. Right. The movie is fantastic. Yes. Everything about the movie I thought was great. Mm-hmm. I feel like the narrative of the story, I mean, the the general base is there. And I think that's why there's so many adaptations of this book. Yeah. But I think, once again, it's so ambiguous. You can take whatever you want from it. I think you can make this book into any story you want. Yeah. You can stay true to the plot, but still right. take your own interpretation in any direction I kind of said it before I don't think anyone walks away having the exact same thoughts as another person no I think you bring in kind of your own baggage your own background your own life to the story Mm -hmm. yeah just like the governess did exactly I you know I think he's a genius (laughs) I do too I didn't used to think so but now I do like I don't I don't ever want to read this book, but I'm glad that I read it once. I really enjoyed the movie. Like I said, it's one of the scarier movies I've seen in a while. And that totally surprised me. I did not think I was going to be scared by this movie. But there's just, like you said, something about the way that it was filmed. There aren't any, I don't think there's any jump scares, maybe one. It was just more about like the really skeezy things that made your skin crawl. Yeah, I felt definitely more creeped out than scared. Yeah, un like uneasy. Yeah, it wasn't a movie that I wanted to turn all the lights on in the house. Right. But I just had an uncomfortable feeling. Exactly. Something just doesn't feel right throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. As we talked about, the little boy's acting is just insanely good. And I was totally blown away by that, especially at the end where you really feel like he's possessed. Yeah. Also, in the same vein of what you said, I'm... I'm like really torn about this book. I'm so glad that I finally got to read it, but I don't think I could have finished it if it weren't for us being on a schedule with this. 100%. I never would have got for past the prologue. Okay. See, I loved it at the beginning when they were talking about telling a story because it made sense. And then once we got into the actual ghost story, I was like, no, we had started to read this before and yeah. I'd read the Christmas scene and then I stopped. But I think So that tells you something. I don't think I ever would have picked it back up if we if you hadn't said, Oh, hey, we're doing this next book. Okay. Yeah. And we really only picked it because it was so short and it fit in our schedule so well. True um, fact. <laughs> the language and structure are just way too dense for me. Like I said, I had to reread things over and over and eventually I just gave up on certain sections and moved on. Like I literally had no idea what had happened. (laughs) And then I would fall asleep. And it wasn't because I was bored. It was because I was exhausted from trying to figure out what I was reading. Everyone can read it once in their life because I really love the themes. Like you said, I really love the story, but it's definitely not like a weekend page turner. No, it is not. Yeah. So good quality, hard to read. 100 I completely agree I think 
for the first time throughout this book, I think we're on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) We really nailed it down. (laughs) Except for it's a screw, not a nail. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) That was a bad joke that did not come through. (laughs) Sorry. I tried. What are we reading next? All right. So if you're reading along with us, our next book will be Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Good job. Um, It will be released in two weeks. And we would love to hear from you. You can find us on our beautiful website that Abby set up at thelitflixpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we are even on Goodreads. So please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Yep. All right. It's been real. Cheers. Cheers.